Shimoi, welcome back to the H Hour podcast. Sponsoring the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation who raise money for military charities by organising, fundraising events. They have raised over £112,000 since they were formed back in 2009, and they were formed in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed in operations serving with the Parachute Regiment in Afghanistan in 2008. Rugby for Heroes started off doing one event every year, which was a well, the Rugby for Heroes Festival, every year in May at Old Lemontonians RFC, out of which uh, r was founded. They did one event every year for, I think it was 10 years, huge events, super popular events, and, 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 uh, and now have expanded their portfolio of events, portfolio of events, get your words out, portfolio of events to include other stuff, such as beer and gin festivals, and supper clubs, plus obviously the rugby events that they have organised so well over the years. Their next event is going to be held on the 26th of June. That is going to be at Old Lemontonians RSC, and this is going to be a, a, a free event to attend. There's going to be rugby going on, all sorts of entertainment, amazing food, and amazing company on the day. So look out for at rugby for heroes on social media rugby number four heroes on on instagram they're on twitter they're on linkedin and on facebook and on their website rugbyforheroes.org for for event details of that next event 26th of june i'm going to be there it's going to be a load of podcast uh previous guests will be there i guarantee they'll turn up mike in fact mike who's at the helm himself is the previous podcast guest so get along 26th of june stick it in your diary thank you rugby for heroes Also sponsoring the podcast today are the Development Society. The Development Society is a community of people who want to be better than they were yesterday. They are more than just a clothing company. They truly are a community of like-minded people looking to improve. From merchandise where you have to earn it, not simply buy it, to weekly Zoom yoga sessions, they're the best kind of people you can find. They're hard workers. The community is open to all who want to improve. If you want to get involved, join their infamous Daily Waves newsletter and their Slack community. Okay, the Daily Waves newsletter, you sign up to that by going onto their website, which is the developmentsociety.co.uk. Okay, sign up to that newsletter and be incredibly inspired by the high quality information they will send you through. There's no spam, it's all useful stuff. It will help you improve. If you're one of those people who wants to get amongst like-minded individuals, improve your situation, then the Development Society is a great starting point. So they're active on Instagram, they're active on Facebook. Get them on Instagram as at the Development Society and, uh, and follow them. You'll get more of an understanding about their philosophies. In the meantime, in their own words, stay wavy. Finally, sponsoring the podcast today were the Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group were founded in 1982 and they were done so with the express objective of developing a mechanical landmine clearing system which would meet the design criteria its founders considered to be the prime critical factors, namely for the clearance of all known anti-tank and anti-personnel mines using mechanical and manual means and also for the location, identification and disposal of all munitions and unexploded ordnance. They've been doing this now for decades. They are the best at what they do. They also, a significant proportion of Aardvark Group's manpower 
are also ex-military. When they were set up, the company design team found that while the actual flail clearance process, which was traditionally used, would be very effective for both applications of minefield breaching under combat conditions and post-conflict and humanitarian air clearance, the prime mover would need to be unique for each application. So they concentrated the design capabilities on the landmine clearance process, which would best suit the post-conflict and humanitarian clearance areas. And they chose a rotating chain flail system. They have been deploying that successfully for a long, long time now. Um, and rightly so, because the task to clear the world of landmines is enormous. The Red Cross estimates there's over 110 million landmines knocking about, ready to mess someone's day up. Aardvark are at the tip of the spear in helping make the world a better, safer place when it comes to unexploded ordnance and landmines. Find out more about Aardvark at aardvark.group. Check out their online shop. If you're a person who works in post-conflict zones, they may well have things in their shop that you could utilize in your day job. Or in your day job, in your job. I know there's stuff in there that I can 100% use and do 100% use. So, aardvark.group is the website. And then on social media, look for them. They're the Aardvark Group. Instagram at the underscore aardvark underscore group. Thank you. On to the podcast. My guest today is Simon Hannaford. Simon is a serving EOD operator, um, an EOD, op- EOD operator who specializes in improvised explosive devices, as in not building them, but getting rid of them, making them safe. Uh, this is a, reg- a great conversation. I didn't know much about the EOD world, even though obviously I've, I served in the military myself, but it's, uh, it's a world that is pretty much unbeknownst to me. I knew, I know what the EOD guys do. I mean, you know, we all know what they do. Bomb disposal is, is what they're tagged with. They, they get rid of uh, nasty, bangy things. <laughs> they do a very good job of it too. And this is a good insight into that world. And uh, Simon's, uh, Simon's experience over his 27 years serving and uh, what he's up to now. This is the H Hour Podcast. My name is Hugh Keir and the guest today is Simon Hannaford. Enjoy. Yo, come in. It's yep. a knock on the door mid-podcast. But the problem is the door's awkward. So they can't open the door. <laughs> so so they're still is, banging. It's just, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> it should be all right. But it, it's probably, he, people rocking up at five o'clock because the bar opens then. Right, right, anyway, I'm waffling. Simon Hannaford. Yes. This is how you pronounce it. I have to check every time. Hannaford, uh, yep. Hannaford? Yep. Han- it's, uh, it's Cornish. Go on. Yeah, uh, so... <laughs> I, I mean, it... it <laughs> I've I've opened up a can of worms now. So when I was over in Northern Ireland, there was a guy over there that did a lot to do with uh, names, uh, and he was like straight away, "You're from Cornwall, aren't you?" And I'm like, uh, "Well, I'm kind of from Plymouth, but most of my family are from Cornwall." Um, and around like the 17th, 18th century, keep talking. Adjust that camera. Keep going. Half of my family stayed within uh, Cornwall, uh, and the other half kind of disappear to America um, and that's where the Hannaford uh, shopping centers are now in America from my descendants well, not my descendants but my my kin over in America yeah. so is the oh god oh, sorry mate 
is the uh, is the is the Hanny Ford is that like from the Americans? Is that, is that why it's Hanny Ford? <laughs> yeah. like that, the, the American thing. They always say things weird, don't they? Yeah. It's like everyone everyone has different ways of saying things. Like I got a friend back home um, from South Wales, and whenever he goes to somewhere, and in the name of the place is Mouth, like Plymouth. He pronounces it like mouth after yeah. Plymouth. In fact, he listens to the podcast. <laughs> I've just realised he listens to the podcast. Jamie Barnes, I'm talking about you. Are <laughs> you off today, Jamie? I'm off the way. I'm just in Weymouth, Plymouth, Portsmouth. No one else says that, Jamie. No one else says it. Anyway, sorry, Barnes. Sorry, glad chuffed you listen. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually complaining yesterday because, uh, well, it was a veiled complaint because there's been a couple of weeks of a lull of podcasts. Oh, right, okay. But he, he's, he's whinging. He doesn't put it like a whinge. Oh, podcasts are a bit slower than me, aren't they? Yeah, really, he's saying, get the fucking podcast out of you. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, 27 years and counting in EOD? Uh, well, uh, I originally joined the army as a driver specialist, uh, thinking that I would follow my dad's path. So my dad wasn't in the army, he was a mechanic. Uh, and I wanted to be a mechanic, so I went to the uh, um, recruiting centre and said, this is what I want. I want to be like my dad. I want to be a mechanic. They said, all right, okay, yeah. Go and do the test. So I went away and did the test, came back. He said, oh, yeah, you you scored really well. Um, This is a job for you. Uh, I was like, what's that? You can pretty much drive all of these big sort of machines, and then when they break down, you get to fix them. I'm like, mega. I want to do that. So June... Oh, sorry, November 1995, stepped on the train, got to basic training and found out that driver specialist isn't quite as mechanical as I thought. So what they were trying to refer to is that if a light bulb breaks, I will then be qualified to unscrew said light bulb (laughs) and then put a new light bulb in. Um, So I stayed with that. I know it was was a really cool cool, um, trade. I got to play with cranes and all of the diggers and mad type of engineering type vehicles. Um, And then was posted to an EOD regiment and then kind of got absorbed within that, still remaining a driver specialist, but obviously dipping my toe into the EOD space, uh, which I really enjoyed. And I kind of, you know, when... uh, you you enjoy something, you find it kind of easy because yeah. you want to know more. You 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 know you kind of it clicks with you straight away. Um, then got posted away from that and did some more driver specialist stuff. Came back, uh, and I think we were on the same Herrick actually because I was on Herrick six as well. Were you on Her- Herrick five coming back to Herrick six? People get confused with the years. So Herrick four. Herrick 4 was 2006. Yes. Okay, so that's Herrick 4. No. So I was, uh, so, yeah, so. Well, and then Herrick was 4 the, was one of the, the main one in 2006. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then it the commando brigade took over. Yeah. And then I came halfway through that. Got you. So it would have been the end of Herrick 5. So like January time, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I uh, kind of forgot where I was at now. Uh, yeah, so I went away, uh, Herrick 6, came back. Um, did other bits and pieces, went down to Tidworth for a while, uh, then went back to Water Beach, where I was first posted, uh, and there was a job came up to do um, high-risk search team, commander. 
strangely enough, that's where I met Mickey Yule. Uh, so we were all training at the same time. Um, and he obviously, as he discussed with you, went out slightly earlier because of injuries. And uh, we were kind of held back for Herrick 13 and to go out there, deploy out there as high risk search team uh, as a whole. Uh, so, yeah. Herrick 13. Herrick 13. Oh, that was 2010, 2011. Yep. I was on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We cool. must have been kind of following each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't <laughs> realise. Right. Um, interesting. And when we were talking about when we were arranging this, but in fact, I have to give a shout to uh, the Aardvark group. Oh, I, and absolutely. To, uh, yeah. And to Kate Lawler for uh, firing you across my uh, across my my path, so yeah. to speak, for the podcast. Very much appreciated. Um, and we'd come, probably come on to that later. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But uh, where was I? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. You, when we were talking, you were saying that... Uh, see, the thing with the bomb disposal in EOD, everyone thinks... Oh, they think... Well, they immediately think clean clean cut, snip a wire here, snip a wire there, little robot gone in, you're on a street somewhere. But you were saying that you specialise predominantly in... IEDs? Yeah, yeah. So um, the the whole sort of gambit of EOD um, kind of encompasses, you know, your CBRN, your search, high-risk search, dogs, EOD, CMD, and then EOD, IED. Hang on, hang on. People's minds are getting blown, right? I know my so, blo- my mind's so just been let's, blown. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> let's go through the uh, abbreviations. So we know what EOD is: explosive ordnance disposal. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Okay. We, CBRN, so C- chemical, C- biological, radiological, yep. nuclear. Okay. Yep. What were the other ones you mentioned? Uh, so uh, um, CMD. CMD. So. Uh, Oh Christ! You put me on. Oh the spot no! Now. Twenty-seven conventional, years. Conventional munitions disposal. And then uh, your IED is improvised explosive munitions disposal. There was, there was another. One. There was another one. There was something else. Was yeah. Dogs. Oh yeah. Well, we know what dogs is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Got you. Continue with the, the your IED specialization. Talk to me. Uh, yeah. So I went away, did this search tour, Herrick Thirteen. Um, absolutely, really alley. It was mental. You know, it was like the Wild West. Go on. Uh, uh, you know, you were literally just dropped into the middle of nowhere and you were uh, supporting, you know, people from PF through to paras, through to infantry, through to anyone that needed us, effectively. Um, and the jobs that you got up to were literally, you know, there's something over there. We know there's something over there because we've seen something over there. And then it kind of came to a... But why is it over there? And then work, once you worked out the why is it over there, which no one ever really wanted to admit why that thing was over there. Um, why not? Why didn't want to admit it? Because you're setting patterns. And there's, that's the only reason why that thing is over there, is because of pattern setting. Uh, not necessarily. Not necessarily. So it could be preemptive. Yeah, uh, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, because it, be it might be they've, th- yeah, because they've uh, they being the enemy of taking an action to force you to stop setting that action you were doing, force you off yep. a, like a, an MSR or something like that, and then it's predictable. Yeah, 
where yeah. you're going to go. Drop, and then you're looking at VAs, VPs, aren't you? Which, yeah. you know, I have to go past that point. I have to slow down lots. There's only, you know, you're being canalized into one area. Uh, it's highly likely that there's something's going to be there, the obvious route. Mm. Uh, so that's what we try to avoid. Um, so, yeah, that, that search thing, absolutely amazing when I was doing it. Uh, at the end of Herrick 13, you know, there were loads and loads of casualties. Um, and I kind of got to the end of that and I was like, oh, my God. I literally did. And I, I, I took loads of film footage, loads of photos. Um, and it's the time when you reflect and you think, oh, my God, this is this is me now. I'm being sucked into the search vortex world. Um, what can I do to get out? Because it was freaking scary when you when you reflect on what you've seen and what you've done, you know, um, and the likelihood of you being called in to something like that again was, you know, it was high. Uh, so I got back off that and said, right, I want to be an EOD operator because I don't have to then start searching for stuff. It's already pointed out for me. Uh, I just go out there and deal with it. As in, as in make it safe? Yeah. As in, I, uh, someone has already done the hard job for me and found the IED uh, or the mine or whatever it may be. All I need to go up there and do is deal with it because I know where it is. Um, when, when on Herrick uh, 6, yeah. were you high-risk search advisor there? No. Uh, so I went out there as engineer, close support. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Um and so, yeah, and so talking about becoming an EOD operator then, what does that entail? Is it, is it like a continuation of your high, of your high research knowledge and then building upon that to take it, taking you a stage further in your EOD drill? <laughs> um, I, you know, a lot of the skills are transferable, uh, but search, you kind of look at the bigger picture. You're looking out the way, whereas with EOD, IED, you're kind of focused in on what's in front of you. You know, you're not looking for anything else per se. Uh, within your threat assessment, you kind of try and rule in or rule out if there's anything around that area. But you're primarily there to deal with what's been found, if that makes sense. Um, so back to your original question of, is it a progression? No, it's not. It's two totally different skill sets. Um, but they complement each other, if that makes sense. So I made that active decision to move away from being a search team commander, uh, progressing on then to search team advisor, to go down the EOD stream, which is conventional munitions disposal, and then obviously the improvised uh, device disposal. Is the process for dealing with the conventional and the uh, improvised, is the is the methodology to get to the point of making a decision on what action you're going to take on that device? Is it the same for no. both? Okay, no. talk to me about that. No. Um, so with the IEDs, there, you've got to try and get into the mindset of the person that made it, and it can be time, command, or victim operated, um, and that's primarily, and it can be made out of anything. You know, you could probably look around in your podcast office here and I can make several switches 
just from the stuff that you go out in here. Whereas the CMD type stuff, the mines, grenades, projectiles, mortar systems, uh, they're all made to a certain specification. They've all been machined exactly the same. They've all got a purpose. So an IED could be designed by the person uh, to be a time-operated IED. Um, but through their inability to understand what they're actually doing, they may have turned it into a VO IED. Victim-operated. Yeah. So some, instead of there's some form of mechanical countdown, it's turned into something that all you have to do is touch it, move it, uh, open a door, and because of the wiring that's incorrectly been wired, it could turn to a victim-operated, um, and vice versa. Or, I mean, we, we've all seen uh, the video clips of when the Taliban go to connect the button and they get a home goal. You know, that that's from that. When they're building one. It yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, so, but in, in what I'm interested in is to talk to me about the process of, well, I'm interested in it all, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. It's a fascinating subject. I've been on the receiving end of them. Yeah. But, I've, but so how you guys deal with it? And as you mentioned, I spoke to Mickey also. I've got the, the high risk. I mean, just, just incredibly dangerous jobs. You know, balls the size of fucking watermelons, right? Um, to do it and to do it repeatedly as well. Um, and to still be around. With <laughs> all my fingers and toes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you get a call from high research advisor or whoever, device identified. What is the process which you go through? What information do you need first off? So is this when we're on tour uh, or is this when we're back in the UK? Oh, it's I think we could talk about both because you, you mentioned your first call out, which was the UK, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. That was a suicide bomber in the UK. Yeah. Right. That was while you were an EOD operator. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about that first because okay. suicide bomber in the UK is just bananas. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, right. Okay. So I this this was right at the start of my posting actually to uh, to Catrick, and uh, there was a call come through, and I genuinely thought that people were winding me up. So we got a call uh, from the uh, the HQ where we get our jobs from. Um, and they said, right, okay, so on, uh, yeah, we've got a job for you, it's an IED. I was like, right, okay, give us the details. Uh, yeah, um, it's coming through as a suspected suicide bomber. I was like, yeah, okay, keep going with the details. <laughs> Reading me out the details, all right. Yeah, all right then. Uh, I'm about 45 minutes away, so... Um, where was it? Saltburn. Where, where, Saltburn, where's that? Saltburn. Saltburn. Yeah, uh, so North Yorkshire, um, uh, just above Newcastle-ish. Yeah, uh, on the coast. Uh, you just type in Saltburn bomber and all of the information comes up. Oh, go on. So I was like, oh, right, okay, number two, let's go. We've got a job. Um, and he's like... Oh, what is it? I'm like, yeah, okay, you don't know what it is. It's a suicide bomber, isn't it, in Saltburn? It's like, what was it? It's like, yeah, come on, let's go over and walk. You still think it's a gag at this point? Yeah, right? absolutely, 100%. You know, because I can see everyone sat in the corner and they're just sort of, you can see the shoulders jumping off and down. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not stupid. You know, this was at my 16-year point. 
Um, I'd been in the army 16 years, newly into uh, to this new EOD unit. Um, see people's, I'm just jumping up and down. Get into the van, get driving. Okay, I suppose I best play the game. It says, you know, it's on my computer. It's an IED suspected, you know, blue lights on. Okay, let's get all of the traffic out of my way. Like three quarters of the way there, and I'm trying to get hold of certain people, and you know, it's not, no one's answering. I'm like, yeah, this is a proper gag now. And I come around the corner, and the first thing <coughs> I see was this heart vehicle. So, this is a hazardous response team. So, it's like, uh, you know, your ambulances, but they're all wearing helmets in there. You know, they go into major issued areas where, you know, they need some form of protection. I was like, Okay, just slow down a bit now, I think. And then as I came around the corner even more, there was like a fire engine. And then there was another fire engine. And on the side of this, I couldn't make it, I couldn't work out why this fire engine had like a 172-inch widescreen TV on it. I was like, and as I'm driving down, I can see my vehicle on this screen. screen. And then th this whole car park, it must have been like 120 metres by, I don't know, 90, 100 metres. It was a massive car park. The whole car park was full of outside agencies, police, ambulance, heart teams, fire crews, firearms, police officers. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's real. They, they, they put a lot of work into this gag <laughs> like a lot of work maybe it's not a gag um so yeah i go out and it, it's, it's almost like everything just kicks into to play right what have you got for me trying to pretend that i'm completely cool at this point like i've dealt with 50 of these and it's your first ever call out it's my first ever call out <laughs> um so yeah, talking it through, uh, and it turned out to be something that it wasn't. Talking what through? What are you talking through? What information are you getting? Yeah, so I, I'm trying to understand what is going on. Um, and there was more to it. And some, some of these jobs, you kind of get given information, and it's kind of key that you know where this information comes from or what this information is, but you don't get told. And you're kind of like, well, I need to know. <clears throat> well, that's the information. Okay, but I need to know where it's come from. Why Why do? Why is this believed? That's the information. Okay, but that's not helping me. I've asked you a specific question. Why are you giving me a generalized, this is the information, deal with it? For example, a question like what well, in this case? Um, we can go with why Why do you think this person is what you are believing she is well that's just the information you're getting okay anything more no are they spotted are they, spot, are they are they visually seeing something suspected to be a vest or uh, so if, when, it was, if it was a vest yeah when we when we turn up we ask a series of questions to gather our threat assessment and to understand 
whether it's time, command, or victim operated down the road, you know, the device. Um, and all of the questions that I was asking just didn't add up. You know, I was, it, was, it was a person that was buying stuff from a shop, um, and it all started because she didn't want to touch the stuff. What do you mean? So it, it was a B&Q style shop, and um, she had bought a list of items which I was given. Um, and the person that was selling the items noticed that she didn't want to touch the items. Oh. And I was like, right, okay. So how did you get it in the bag? Oh, she just sort of like pulled her arm and then... Use a sleeve. Yeah. yeah. That, that's not normal behavior, granted. Um, but that, that doesn't constitute perhaps a you know a suicide bomber insult then who called it in uh so it was the person that was the cashier the yeah, the, 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 the cashier yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 salesperson yeah and and she reckoned it was in oh i don't know if it's she he or she reckoned it was a, they, this person was making an id assuming that it, she didn't want to get a fingerprints uh, on yeah it. and she, and she was wearing a hijab um, oh. So again, uh, she was white, British white, um, but she had a hijab on. So then she was kind of, I think, putting two and two together and coming up with 15 rather than four. What were the items? Uh, try not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking. I got my suspicions. Go on. Right, okay. Yeah, so, people are fucking more and, 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 and this was, remember, this this was back in... 2012. Can I guess? Can I guess the items? Go on. Uh, black and nasty. Nope. Oh. Uh, uh, batteries. Nope. Wires. Kind of. Nails. Nope. Screws. No. <laughs> Wire wool. Uh, I, I, you, you're not going to guess. <laughs> right, okay. So she bought two cheese graters and one was broken. So she got a discount on that broken cheese grater. Uh, a hook and eye set. So, the you know, the stretchy wire that you put up and then you screw the eye and then you screw the hook in that side and then you can put up your neck curtain. Oh, yeah. So, hook and eye set. Uh, soldering wire. So, just a reel of soldering wire. Yeah. And a mechanical countdown plug-in timer. Oh, there's this person... The salesperson is obviously watching something on TV, yep. like a film, perhaps. Yeah. I will mention no f names of films. <laughs> <laughs> you know the word about the bomb disposal. <laughs> Jesus. So he sees the hijab, thinks suicide bomber. Yeah. Put two and two together and got five, I assume. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So what's the rest of the story? <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, th this is all open source, so you can just type in Saltburn bomber. Um, there was a uh, a woman that was on the seafront. The whole of the seafront was evacuated. Um, 200 meter cordon put in place by the, the firearms officers. Uh, two firearms teams, laser pointers straight ahead because they genuinely thought that she was a suicide, but a potential suicide bomber. She wasn't helping the situation because she was like, well, you think I'm a fucking suicide bomber? 
do what you got to do. It's like, right, things aren't adding up here. I've got hook and eye sets. I've got soldering wire. I've got a mechanical rundown plug-in timer for your lights. You know, when you go on holiday, you set your timer. Yeah, that one over there. Just like that. Hang on a second. I have a suicide bomb on that. I've got a kettle. I've got some patches on the wall. I've got a bottle of water. Suicide bomber. Hang on. No, no, no. Because I don't look Muslim. Can't be. Probably. Go on. So, yeah, the whole of the seafront's closed down. Time's getting on now going through my questioning due to what what position I held currently at the time. Um, police had primacy because they thought that she was some form of suicide bomber. So I couldn't do anything even if I wanted to. Um, woman sat on the seafront like this. I think it was like eight hours she was in that position. What options did she have, though, in all seriousness, to, to try and alleviate the situation? Uh, that that was kind of taken out of my hands. She just wasn't sort of complying whatsoever. So they were trying to say to her, "Empty your bag out." And then she was like, no, oh. "Fuck off." She oh. had like this like sack satchel thing, which was bulky, uh, and oh, yeah. there was a time difference between her buying this highly suspicious stuff <laughs> from the shop to her being found on the seafront. Um, so yeah, she was literally there for like seven, eight hours, stressed position, completely not complying. Um, and I think it got to the point where a uh, a firearms officer you know, just went up there, emptied out the bag, pinned her to the floor, job done. Because if they didn't empty the bag, then that would have been when I stepped in to then send my robot down there to do, you know, all of the remote stuff to find something to then take positive ear the action but uh, on opening the bag they found other stuff which was small bags of like beans they found a gas um, boiler a couple of tins a couple of mugs strangely they found some soldering wire hook and eye set a mechanical rundown plug-in timer. Um, that was me. Job done. Got in a van. Closed the job down on the computer and drove away. She was completely innocent, right? Yeah. yeah. So the mystery here, say, is what on earth did she go back and do with all those items? That is a bizarre shopping list. I know. I want to know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. So I, th I think after after this had all sort of uh, come together, um, she was sent to a, a mental rehabilitation sort of place. Um, and you'll find that, like, I would say most of the jobs that I've done UK mainland have been involving people that are disturbed in some way not fully there like away with the birds yeah no sort of malicious intent they're just doing it out of curiosity rather than i'm gonna make this to harm that person over there they don't generically they they don't do that job one done 
job one. Easy peasy. Under the belt. Under the belt. Yeah, stick down your CV. Yeah, job job magnet. And that that's the that so that that was the name that I got after that because every time I was on duty, I got at least two jobs a day, and I loved it. Really, that many? Oh yeah, yeah. Two jobs a day every day. How often you're on duty? That's a lot. I was trying to get on duty all the time. How many call-outs are there, mate? So, I mean, just in general, I know I'm generalising. I know it varies from place to place. But in, in the UK, like for a, your area of jurisdiction for a team, yeah. how many call-outs are you talking about? Well, I mean, it's all very dependent on where you are geographically in the UK. Um, you know, through a week, there could be two or three call-outs per place or there may be 20 call outs you know there's loaded varying factors so first one is the weather if the weather's great then you've got metal detectorists out you've got people wanting to do renovations on the gardens you've got people wanting to put in extensions you've got magnet fishing you've got people generically out in the countryside even more. Finding potential bombs and stuff. Old munitions yep. you're talking about. Old World War II munitions. So whether they've been dropped by, you know, Germany during the Second World War or whether they'd been used by us as training on the build-up to the Second World War or after. Okay. Okay. And what has been your most challenging job then? Because have you got, you must have, a, you must have quite a few. Um, my most, I would say my most challenging job was a, um, a device that was placed to catch out an emergency service with a complex timer switch um, and was quite large. I'd prefer not to say what country I was in. Um, but yeah, that that was probably my most challenging, um, complex IED that I'd come across. Uh, com so define define a complex IED for me. Uh, so something where it's using multiple power sources, multiple <coughs> switches, uh, complex circuit boards. Uh, that that would constitute a complex uh, IED. And was it? The most challenging because it was simply it was a complex idea. Was it uh, environment? How much of a factor did the environmental the environmentals play in yeah. terms of your ability to deal with something? Yeah. So uh, you know, my whenever I get called out, my <coughs> first worry is safety of me, safety of my team, safety of the cordon, safety of the general public. And if I can't ensure 100% that I've ticked off all of those, I can't do anything. Um, so first of all, I need to ensure the safety of everyone, preservation of life. Uh, then we move on to preservation of property, which is slightly below the, the life limiting um, sort of factor. Then forensic evidence, you know, we want to, maintain that forensic evidence so we can catch the people that have carried out said sort of action and then return the situation back to normal as soon as possible. So they're the sort of like four categories that we need to hit. And if we can't hit one, which is number one, preservation of life, then we can't kind of progress 
if that makes sense. How do you keep up to date with the methodology and modus operandi of um, of the people making these things and planting these things? Uh, so as, as part of the remit for us to carry out any form of uh, operational um, licensing, we need to first license. Um, so that, that will be something that we would do continuation training. That, that, that's all it is, continuation training, which is then monitored, assessed, and then we get given, you know, the thumbs up for UK um, Mac A duties. Um, and it's exactly the same going uh, across to wherever it may be worldwide. You would do a, a beat up um, training section and then you would be assessed, viewed, given the thumbs up and then sent out that way. So that's where you would capture all of those updates. Um, at Modus and Raptor, you know, all of that, how they operate, J2 type situations where you'd get updates from that. Um, so yeah, it's an ever evolving beast, ever evolving, and sometimes changing on a daily basis. Mm. Um, have you ever come across uh, an, uh, an incident where, you, or a job where um, it's the old, it's the old film thing, isn't it? You get there and you've got seconds to spare. You've not got a lot of time. I'm assuming, I am maybe incorrectly, that a lot of the time on the timed on the timed devices, yeah, you, it's not. There isn't the digital counter on the front of it showing you the seconds counting down. Is it there? could be really. Yeah. Have you had that? Have you encountered that? Uh, I've not. I've not encountered the digital timers. Why um, would they want to display the time apart from? Yeah. I mean, that, that that would be something that they're doing just for their benefit. Uh, they're putting time, uh, minutes, hours, seconds, push the go <laughs> button, counts down, then sets off an alarm, which then is incorporated into the circuit, which then initiates the device. So have you ever had an incident where it's counting down and you're, and you're like properly under pressure? Uh, I've had a mechanical rundown timer. Go on. Uh, so we were in a country that I won't name. Uh, sending the robot down the road, uh, came across this item. And I only got given the um, the details that there's a large tube there, uh, and I could see some batteries uh, and some wires coming out of the end of this steel tube. Uh, so sent the robot down rather quickly, uh, then seeing a mechanical rundown timer uh, along with a large steel tube, wires and batteries uh, and took out the power source. Pretty much job done. It wasn't complex, it was simple. Yeah, that, that type of thing is simple, yeah. How big was the device? Um, that big by about... So you're holding your... So like a foot and a half long? Yeah. foot and a half long and then what's that? Half a foot in diameter? Big one. Yeah, it was, it was reasonable. It would definitely ruin your day if it functioned next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the biggest device you dealt with? Uh, that Probably that, that first one I was talking about where there was a, um, a, a complex IED, uh, which was probably that size. What's that size? Pe pe most people uh, uh, Meter foot? long. Meter oh, yeah, long. Fucking hell. What that so the whole the size of the whole device was that? Yes. Uh, well, how much like uh, explosives were in there? Um, I'd say about 
six inches worth for four pounds five pounds yeah yeah and then augmented by nails and all that good stuff what are they uh in the uk mm, not in the uk overseas middle east areas should we mm -hmm. say what are they predominantly using as the as the explosives uh, that will be some kind of fertilizer mixed with an oxidizer, and so it may so it's be not changed. No, no, no. It works. You know, it's really freaking good, and it's available. And it's available. So it's exactly the same as what you would know um, as your, you, you know, your fertilizers rendered down, mixed with said um, other oxidizers uh, and fuels to create the the explosives. Easy peasy. It is and that, that that's the scariest thing about it is it is easy peasy. That that that's the really scary thing. Yeah. And uh and and the information readily available online. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Crazy. If you know where to look, if you know what to type in, um I wouldn't <laughs> suggest to anyone that they do type in anything because there are certain words that if you type into the internet like I should imagine, how to make a bomb you would be probably getting a visit from someone. Yeah, do not do that in all yeah, do not do that people in all seriousness. That that is kind of a one hundred percent you will get a visit from someone if you start typing that type of search into the search engine. What's the turnover rate with an EOD like uh, uh um the operator end in terms of rotating in and out because of stress, mental health, pressure is it uh, yeah talk to me about that um <clears throat> i've i've no i think it's an accumulative effect um so going back to herrick 13 i was in afghanistan um and witnessed firsthand people standing on stuff um it that that doesn't look real at the time from my perspective it didn't look real it was like a skeleton hand where this guy had been degloved and you know uh, lost a leg and some of the skin had been pushed up and the rest of the skin had been sort of like stuck to the bastard bush and it was really weird because it was his tattoo like I, the, I, I can't really recall bush. yeah i can't recall what it was but it's some kind of football <clears throat> tattoo and it was literally pinned to the bush yeah, it was pinned to the bush. It was really strange, um, but didn't think very much of it. Um, and as we were clearing through that road, and I, I, I can still see it now, um, where I didn't want this guy's foot to be mauled by dogs or, you know, his his skin to be eaten by animals or... You know, his body parts to be used against us. So I I started picking up these body parts and putting them in a plastic bag. And they were obviously, we were carrying on the search. So I was picking up my fair share of the body parts. Um, and I was telling my young lads, right, if you come across any body parts, pick it up and put it in a bag. And... That probably sounds quite mental, but at the time it was like very natural. Um, 
and where I said it was an accumulative effect, I think you keep seeing stuff like that. And then when you get back, you reflect on it. I think it does, yeah, it, it has a has an effect. Um, you know, you can type into the internet uh, suicides within the EOD world, uh, UK armed forces, you, you're going to get a few hits. Um, people okay. leaving... You know, you're going to get. What is the so is the what are you suggesting the rates fairly high compared uh, to the rest or not? I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't know whether they're fairly high, but I know of a couple of guys. Um, how big is the EOD? How big is the unit? Uh, uh, how is how how big is the EOD? Yeah. Um, as a as a organisation, yeah, it's it's quite a big beast. Uh, maybe well, there's two regiments, three regiments. Then you're looking at all your support arms. What size are the regiments? Are they f- between four and six hundred people. Okay. Uh, so they may not all be, you know, EOD operators or searchers. They may be drivers or, you know, all of the different arms that you're going to get. Um, I, th- this is a pure guess. Maybe fifteen hundred personnel involved. There may be slightly more. And how many do you know have killed themselves? I know at least two. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it. I. I. When I. <clears throat> Trying, I, it's like trying to. You have to try and. Uh, what's the word? Um, oh God! I can't remember the word. You have to try and take it. Take the numbers relevant. Uh, not relevant. Wrong word. Oh, I can't remember the word. But I try and think of. You know, there's a lot of stuff about mili- ex-military suicides and and, and serving yep. military suicides and stuff. Yep. I always trying to. It's really hard to understand if there is a real problem. Mm. Or or if there's not really. Um, it's hard to understand when you compare it to the civilian population. And I've heard people say that, I've heard people say that, and ministers as well say, I'm sure Mercer said it actually, is that the, the, the suicide, average suicide rates within the military is the same as what Civ Pop is. But then I think, as you, I, like you, I know, I think at least two, mm. maybe one or two more, that have killed themselves. Well, that that's that's just EOD operators. So I've had a good friend very very recently, also kill himself. Nothing to do with VOD. Um, he was a royal engineer. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so the point. So the point yeah. I was making is, uh, yeah. I mean direct. Yeah. So I mean directly know within the military, right? Yeah. So if I was to speak to, like, I, like I, I don't think I know any civilians no. who know even one person that's oh no hang on I do there was a kid like there's a kid when I was in school and he killed himself but so all those school kids there know now they know of one person but in, in terms of like now not many I wouldn't say many civilians know people directly know people who've killed themselves no. maybe one certainly not two or three or four no. and that is and when I think about that I think maybe there is a maybe there is a situation I mean uh, but you, it's one you can never really understand. You can you never really sort of measure it like that properly. But, mate, there shouldn't be any fucking suicides. No. There shouldn't be any. Not Absolutely. when, not when uh, you join the military, okay? And you, and which is a to me, if you join up and you go through that process of joining up, whichever arm, whichever service, that is a that is proof mm. that you are of a certain mental aptitude. Yep. You have a certain mental stability to be able to go through all that training and then and then go into every unit you are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which the point I'm making there is when there's civilian deaths, you don't sort of have that as a marker of 
oh, someone com- was completely mental stable at one point in their lives, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so when you have that, for them people to take their lives, it, it just, it's, um, just, it just shouldn't happen. It, it, no. it, shouldn't, I, it shouldn't happen anywhere, right? I'm not saying the military people's lives are any more valuable than the civilians. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to uh, understand, or explain, try to under, trying to understand um, the deaths. Yeah, but, sorry, go on. We were talking about, I went on the right tangent there. We were talking about uh, EOD, stress levels, yeah. So, um, go on. Uh, so, yeah, accumulative. Uh, I think the more you get to see, the more it starts building up. And you you get opportunity to um, obviously talk about these situations between the team, your team members, you talk about. And generally, that, that, that will nip it in the bud. Um, you, you know, you've acknowledged the fact that something's happened. Um, you, you've talked about it. Um, and it then kind of sorts itself out as much as it can. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, the year, two years down the road, when you get to reflect about, you know, feeling to be able to he- feel the heat of the RPG whizzing past your head whilst you're doing X, Y, and Z. And then you're looking at your, your youngest that's running around and you kind of think, shit, I could, if, if I'd slept slightly to the right or to the left at that point, I wouldn't be seeing this now. So you kind of start personalizing <clears throat> stuff and you're starting to re-traumatize stuff with, or re-traumatize yourself with stuff that has happened, if that makes sense. So it has an accumulative effect of building up and building up and building up. Uh, some guys, you know, they can deal with it and you don't see any issues at all. Not, not anything. Uh, some people can't deal with it, and they obviously right turn and and leave. Uh, and then you get the other guys that are you wouldn't know that they're not suffering, but they are suffering. But they're putting on a brave face to the point where they either break or they right turn and leave, and then suffer in silence on their own as a civilian. Hmm. Yeah, and common across, and that's common across all branches, really, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. And guys and girls. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think it's improving now. I think yeah. things are improving. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, the fact we're, having, we're able to have this conversation is, mm. is an indication. You know, I'd argue that 10 years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, you or I would not be willing to sit no. and talk about openly no. on a public thing like this, no. talk about mental health, for example. No. So, um, that's oh, it should be encouraged. Um, you know, I've had my fair share of situations where. You know, I've I've been in a bit of a state, you know, and I needed help. Um, and I openly encourage people to, to take advantage of that because the stuff that we see and do as soldiers across the board, not just in EOD or search, it's not normal. Um, perhaps a little bit more normal now because we haven't got the Afghanistans going on. Um, but definitely some of the stuff that definitely with some of your podcast members that have seen and done you've seen and done that is not normal stuff for human beings to witness so you know you've always got to be very cognizant of the fact that you know one day you may you know anyone that's been involved in that type of stuff may need a bit of a hand it's a really good point mate um in that uh, 
one of the light bulb moments for me when I was trying to improve and, and understand um, what was going on with me. One of the light bulb moments is where uh, a therapist uh, said to me that, because um, I, I couldn't understand why I was experiencing what I was experiencing. And and I said to, the, I said to her, the first therapist I went to see, I said to her that, I said, look, I, I, I've got no issues with anything I did or any of the events I've just described to you or anything. I've got no issue, you know, um, whatsoever. Um, I said, these these things that happened to me, this is involuntary. Like, cause mm. I, they would, I, I would talk through something uh, like, um, uh, an event and I, I would, I'd be talking like I am to you now at the same time. So si, my eyes would be streaming. Yep. I'd be crying, yep. but I, I'd be talking. I wouldn't feel like I'm crying, but like yep. it would be like complete subconscious. My eyes would be streaming Com- yeah. and it would happen at random times. Um, and I said this, and I said to her, this, I, I'm not doing this. I don't. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm crying. This is. I'm. I, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And she said to me, "What you said there." She said, "You have to understand. Is that what you've experienced? That's not normal. It's no. not normal. It is. So that the body's going to react." She said, "You may think that you're completely accepting of it and everything else, but it's not normal. No. And 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 the way it is is we we're conditioned, right? We were trained, and it not just the military, blue light services, any yep. any job. Any I situation, I don't know how." The medical service do what they do. Uh, good point. Don't like, don't yeah, understand. Yeah, it. I agree. So we, we when I say we, I mean people who uh, deal with high stress, high trauma events. Yeah. Like, or are they going to have to? As a as a occupation, <clears throat> they're trained to do it. Hmm. Paramedics, doctors, police, firemen, fucking, uh, I don't know, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and yeah. women, right? Yeah. Um, and so we're trained to be able to deal or 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 not deal with it to operate effectively while that ev- event is going on. Yeah. Okay. And, but that, but what happens in high stress situations, whether your life's at risk or not, in high stress situations, uh, traumatic events, okay, your body, I know I'm preaching the converted, I'm, I'm just talking for the benefit of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Your, your body does things that you cannot control. There are survival mechanisms triggered from it, from in your brain on a psych, psychiatric level to the physiological level. Chemicals are imbalanced. Hormones are... I mean, I was talking about this before in the past as a podcast guest, but there's stuff you can't fucking control it. You could, as I just said, those events I experienced, I was absolutely fine in those. Mm. I don't have... I, I've never had flashbacks or anything like that. And yet, sometimes talking about them or sometimes thinking about them, triggers an emotional response yep. to me yep. that I am not conscious of, but mm-hmm. physically I'm doing it. Yep. Streaming with, it hasn't happened for a long time. Streaming with tears. What is that? My alarm got off my phone. God, sit right in the middle of it. Tense then. I was, I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was well, I was into it then. And my fucking alarm went off my phone, but it triggers a response. And that is an example of, um, it's, it, it, sorry, it's, it's reinforcing what you're saying. It's not normal you experience. So, and so to, to experience sort of adverse emotional reactions shortly after or years later after your service, whether you think there's been a specific event or not, because there isn't always, always, that's fucking normal. Yep. That's normal. Yep. How did you see, how, what did you do when you, when you sought help? What did you do? Um, so it, this do you was mind talking in, about it? No, 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 okay, no. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to speak about it years ago. Uh, I would have been exactly the same as you. I'd have been a blubbering mess. Um, so 
back to 2007, Herrick 6, right at the end of the freaking tour, um, we were at a place that wore a fob that we were building called Fob Arnhem. Uh, we were building that. And um, they were chucking in Chinese rockets at us, mortaring us. And we were all um, stood behind the HESCO, giggling to ourselves. Where was Arnhem? Uh, that was in the lower Hanging Valley. Okay. Um, yeah, so we were getting a bit of income in, building this Sanger uh, with inside this fob, <coughs> giggling to ourselves. And um, my hand was on the side of the HESCO, which is the big steel sort of like cages that we fill with earth to then build glass protection right? yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh six foot pickets fall down on my hand from the vibrations of the incoming idf ouch you would think but i was like ah oh, shit carried on giggling stopped we carried on building i just kind of tried to protect my hand a little bit uh carried on with the op got to the end of the op went back to bastion um and my hand, for some reason, started getting worse. I, I knew I, I'd done something bad to it, um, but I could still move it. But, it, I mean, I don't know if you can see, it's got like a little little bend in it. Um, and it was getting worse and worse over a period of like two or three days. So I was told, go to the, the doctors, see what you've done. Uh, went there. And um, they were like, right, okay. And as soon as I, it was like, as soon as I stepped in to that hospital door, it was like someone had a soldering iron and they put it straight into my finger. And I was like, what, what's going on? This is like berserk. This is crazy. This is like, th this pain is horrendous. Uh, so they gave me a ring block. So they put a needle down that side of the knuckle down that side of the knuckle. In between it. your fingers? Yeah. Not good. And this needle was about that long. And I was like, oh my God. Took away the pain. I was like, oh, jackpot. <laughs> yeah, but that only lasts half an hour. Half an hour went, came back, and I was like yelping in pain again. Morphined up. Uh, they just chucked the whole pharmacy <laughs> at me. Uh, I was like a zombie, got Kazivac'd back to the UK, spent a month and a half in Birmingham. Um, but prior to being Kazivac'd, I saw um, some Afghan children with an Afghan civilian in hospital in Bastion. Um, and these children had been fragged and had a lot of brain or head injuries. Um, and I remember this, this, these two children with like little dish dashes on. And it was almost like I was thinking, were these children trying to look the way they looked? And it was almost like they were lobotomized. Like they didn't know where they were. They were just sort of walking. Um, and they were trying to get the attention of this adult. Um, and there was a little girl there as well had half her head shaved and you know you could see these these areas where the surgeons had gone in and had to pull out bits of fragmentation. Was this in Bastion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um and I was witnessing all of this in this chair with like my finger that looked exactly the same as it did now. 
but it was in like this splint thing and it kind of rested like that and i was thinking looking to the right of me and there was like gunshot wound to the chest there ied strike to my left little children walking around i mean i think we even had a, a prisoner of war that had been shot a couple of times and lost his leg uh, but he was getting treated as well um and the, the these children were trying to get the attention of this Afghan Afghan adult. And it was literally these this this little girl and this little boy was swept to the side because all he wanted to do was give this older lad a cuddle and comfort him. Uh I I just didn't understand why they would push these children. Where it goes. And I was there was one girl okay. and a young boy. Um and I was like, this sounds like it was over a protracted period of time, but it wasn't. It was like within a minute and a half of me witnessing this. And I was like, I couldn't understand. I couldn't really understand why things were playing out the way they were playing out. Uh, and I later found out that because it was a younger child and a female, they meant nothing to this village elder. The person that was the important person was the eldest child. And I, I just didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't get that. Um, Kazivak back to the UK, uh, hit Birmingham, got in the bus, and there was a young lad there, head injury again. I'm like, oh God, another head injury. As we pulled up to the hospital, I could see this, and I can see, see him in, in my head now. I can see him now. And he was sort of like sat, over there with a nurse, um, big bandage on his head, vacant look, and he got up with this nurse, and you could see his wife outside the bus, obviously waiting for him to come, and as he got stepped down off this, his wife went up to him, and it was like he didn't recognise her, it was like no emotion, no, it was just like, carried on walking and that 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 affected me for ages walking with her just no show, just, no just, just didn't didn't uh, didn't recognize her no no there was no acknowledgement what did she do obviously she was really upset you know and then i took my turn got off the bus got onto a push chair and wheeled off and i was woken up in a ward somewhere in birmingham with people in burkas and I was like, oh my God, I actually thought that I was in a hospital in Afghanistan because I woke up surrounded. No one had told me anything. I was on so many drugs. I woke up with all of my kit on like that, starfished on the bed and it people in burkas, dish dashes. I was like, oh, right. Okay. This is different. It looks less sandy in here. Um, it's cooler as well. Where's the, the tents? why am I on a proper bed and then worked out that I was in a holding um, bed until I, I I was moved up to the, the military ward what was that for your finger yeah fucking hell so going back to all of this this was brain smudging which I never knew it, anything about it was what brain brain smudging brain smudging yeah Go which on. is an actual thing which I didn't really understand um and because uh i 
made that psychological sort of right that can't hurt for the next 15 days because i am on this up i need to get this done when the when the picket six foot pickets fell in your hand yes you blocked the pain Go yes on, okay. so my brain blocked the pain i carried on the brain's incredible isn't it well, yeah <laughs> and I, I i couldn't work out so as soon as i let my barriers down stepping into the hospital, hospital that's where the pain racked up I started witnessing all of these things, which had nothing to do with the pain, by the way. That that was my exposure to um, trauma that affected me mentally rather than physically, my hand. Um, but yeah, I had, I had something called brain smudging where my brain couldn't understand or it didn't know how to deal with what would, would have been relatively painless turned it into something where it felt like I'd a red hot poker on my finger constantly. Uh, and I had four months of rehabilitation. Jesus. Yeah. I, I said to them, cut my finger off. In fact, cut my hand off. I wanted them to cut my hand off. And they said that wouldn't make a difference. Because it would be the phantom pain then, wouldn't it? I suppose. Yep. And you want them cut it off because the pain yeah. is so horrendous. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That's yep. crazy. Mm. Yeah. How many people call you a bluffer? <laughs> you would think quite a few, um, but none. Jesus none. Christ. It, as soon as I thought that, I, I, I couldn't understand it myself. You know, I couldn't understand where all of this pain, because my hand didn't look any, I mean, it was a bit black there, you know, and I couldn't stand touching it. Um, well, it would have been bruised. Those pickets are heavy. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't break anything. Didn't break anything. Uh, I had an MRI scan on it. Um, but what I did do was damage a lot of the nerve, ends, nerve endings around there, which then, through whatever reason, got brain smudging. Didn't know it was a thing. And then they brought out this book, explained it to me, and they were like, this is actually a thing. Um, yeah month and a half later, out of hospital, on a severe amount of drugs for nearly seven or eight months, all because of this hand, and things that I saw, obviously. So, going back to the question. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we must have gone massively <laughs> off piece there. No, we, it's you. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not complaining. Uh, what did you do to seek help? So just, just uh, Yeah, so I went and saw a CPN nurse. You know, I said, I need help. You know, I was, if I mentioned that lad getting off the bus, all those little children, I would have been a bumbling mess um, instantly, instantly. Um, so I went and saw a CPN nurse, yeah. What's CPN nurse? Uh, so that, that, that's the, the military sort of... Um, um, mental health. Yeah, mental health nurses. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so they, they specialise in mental health. Never heard of that. Were they around when I was in? Was yeah, they, yeah, they would have been. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. back in two thousand and seven in uh, Salisbury, uh, yeah, that's oh, where yeah. I went. Oh, okay. So um, yeah, I was in a proper mess. Like I'd be like, <laughs> how long did it take you to get out there to get to get to a good place? Um, I don't think you ever. 
ever completely return to how you were you i think your brain changes doesn't it on a, a physical level it's it's something that's been exposed you've tried to hide it or compartmentalizing it's acted almost like some kind of disease which then you know changes that bit of the brain um so you know i, I don't feel overly brilliant about thinking about that guy stepping off the bus and not recognizing his wife and his and, and he, she had a tiny baby as well um and these little afghan kids that were getting pushed away uh well experience experience changes you as a person like you or i wouldn't be who we are now if we didn't have hmm. experiences we'd yeah. be we would be like kids in adult bodies which arguably we are sometimes if you're drinking beer <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> but um the experience changes over time yeah the, uh, the in that situation you're talking about people with uh you know experience real bad mental health issues for, because of an experience as you pointed out there you can't expect to go back to who you were because hmm. you, you just can't this, no. this shit's changed yeah. that's another thing i had to deal with is uh, I was I was of the mindset that I want to be who I used to be. Mm. I I want I want my mental state to be what it was then. Yeah. Because I like things about myself. Mm. Then I had a really good memory, for example. <laughs> you know, I was really disciplined. I was really focused. You know, yeah. And 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 I'm not anymore. Um. Or I find it really challenging to to be to. Uh, it's a real effort to do it to be really disciplined, really focused. Um. Uh, for any any protracted length of time, mm. uh, it's really difficult. But as pointed out to me by a different therapist. He said, have you ever considered that instead of think, constantly thinking about I need to get back to who I was, have you ever considered that that's who you are now? Hmm. So that doesn't mean, that's not me saying accept all those shit things about that you, that the core, you know, that mental ill health. not about accepting it. It's about getting rid of the stuff you can get rid of, pulling yourself back to a baseline of contentment, of, of healthiness, mental health, physical health, and then, and then see who you are. Yep. You 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 have changed. It's just those small changes that occur over time, they'd be masked by the massive symptoms yep. you're displaying for whatever is causing it. Yep. Depression, anxiety, fucking unhappiness, mm. sadness. Yeah. You know. Uh yeah, it's a good point, mate. It's a good point. You, you just And that, that kind of leeches out as well. So that can leach out to people that are closest to you. In my experience. So at times, I've had low points, which can then get picked up on children. Children can pick up that you're not quite acting like dad. Or the wife can pick up on it. And that can, you know, almost suck energy from them. That positive energy can be infected with your negativity, your anxiety, your unhappiness your problems with dealing with situations that aren't normal um the problem there is that so people can um then consider themselves a burden yeah and either well cut away from those people they feel like they're burdening um either cut away physically in that like leave for example or cut away from fucking life mm. and and that is the i mean I never. I always, I'm always conscious. Of, I never know what mental state people are in when they listen to this. It's always, you know. Uh, and so, I mean, if that's someone listening, then that is like cutting away is not the answer. If 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 you're in that situation where you feel like you're a burden on people because of what you're experiencing yourself emotionally, then the answer is, 
you seek help. You speak to someone. Fucking drop me a fucking message if you need to. Drop a sign message if you need to. But you speak to someone. You go and seek help because it is there. It's yep. just re- it is. It's almost and it can be impossible to see when you're in a really bad place. Impossible to see there's any option or solution, and there, there fucking is. Mm. There is. There, there's you, always a solution, and you can't. You those solutions and problem uh, solutions and that help won't be exposed to you. Those answers won't be exposed to you if you don't look or if people don't know you need it. Which step one is like. You fucking talk to someone. Yep. Talk to someone. I'm having a rough time in a minute. Okay. That's it. Um, I didn't think we were going to go on the mental health route today, mate. I didn't I'm glad either. we did. I'm glad we did. Yeah. I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did. Because um, it's, it's useful. It's interesting. Your experiences, especially on, uh, yeah, like you said. I mean, you you, 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 you know, you mentioned about, you don't know, how, how a medical profession do, do it. And I know what you mean. I'm going to make mm. this a, a paramedic in London. But at the same time, you're sitting here thinking, I don't know how the fuck you do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> I do every time. It's mental. <laughs> to me, it's mental. But then I suppose it's because we don't understand. I don't understand your trick. I'm not knowledgeable of it. Yeah. You know, in the same way as the paramedics and stuff. Whereas, uh, I, you know, I, I would like to think you would think the same thing about going and doing what I used to do. Well, yeah. Like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that to people like you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, you were saying before we uh, before we went on air, you did a, you did you've done you've run almost a full marathon this morning. Yeah. Right before you came, well, this morning before you started work, you've been yep. at work. Uh, no, no, my boss. Uh, I've got a a real um, kind boss that allowed me to have today off uh, to come or go do a marathon. I was supposed to be doing fifty mile, uh, but then realised that I'd started too late and. Don't want to push it too hard because how many miles did you do? Uh, so just shy of thirty this morning. Yeah. And what are you doing after this podcast? Another marathon. Why? So twenty six. <laughs> Why? Uh, tr- so <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that quite a bit. Um, so I'm going to be taking on a challenge on the first of June to swim the channel. Firstly, which is 21 and a bit miles. Uh, then I'm going to cycle from Land's End to Donegroats, uh, which is a thousand miles. It's, it's, it's shorter if you went and took a more direct route, but um, that's avoiding the, the fast and dangerous motorways. And then I'm going to run from Donegroats back down to Bista, which is around about 733 miles, which is about 54 miles a day, every day for two weeks. How do you train for that? <laughs> Can you train for that? <laughs> uh, um, so I, I, what I've been trying to do is just get my body uh, capable of doing... Um, it doesn't need to be fast running. I'm not a particularly fast runner. Uh, so when I was doing my 26 marathons in 26 days, I was trying to hit the four-hour point on each of my marathons. So I managed to do each marathon in and around four hours, um, you know, which is relatively quick for some people, but relatively slow for, you know, your more, your, your faster people. Um, so I kind of forgot where. How do you, you train for it? Uh, so lots of, lots of running, lots of cycling and swimming. What about are you getting are you picked up any are you picking up any injuries? Right? No, so I'm being very cognizant of the fact that I do a lot of heart rate training. So I will only stick to certain heart rates when I'm out lower the heart rate, lower the 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 heart rate zone, 
the less likely you are to be injured. So I do a lot of my training in heart rate zone two, which is utilizing my body fat and carbohydrates that I'm taking on board whilst exercising rather than cannibalizing my body in zone three, zone four, where it's taking a lot of the energy from the muscles, which then you start building up all of that horrible sort of lactic acid. That is fascinating. I, I've got a friend who called, called Jack Russell, he's ex-military, ex-3 para, a fucking mega bloke. And uh, he, he recently, I don't know how, but recently he's been, we, were, we were talking and he was mentioning about this new way of training he's doing, mm. and it's to do with heart. I'm sure it's to do with heart rate zones. Yeah. But he's using a specific. He's using. He's got a. He's got some. Like I wear a whoop strap. He's got something like a whoop strap where he's yep. measuring it, but it's it's tailored for that kind of training. That he's yeah, doing. yeah. I wonder if it's yeah. the same. So thing. it's like this watch here. What's that? Uh, so that's a. Uh, I don't want to say what make it is. Oh, you can say but, what make it is. Uh, it's a Polar Polar Vantage V. Okay. Uh, which effectively manages loads of different sort of algorithms in heart rates. It, it, it's got Alexa, uh, um, electro, what, when it's, it's telling that your arms moving, how your arms moving and it's connected to GPS. Accelerometer. That's the one. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> get there at the end and then you download it at the end of your, your run and it tells you what your heart rate's been doing throughout the run. It can tell you elevation, um, so you, the amount that you've gone up and gone down. Uh, and it will also take into consideration your effort with regards to power in wattage. Uh, and it will also take into account your power in wattage going uphill, which will then give you a estimated speed of what you would be going if you were going straight. Uh, likewise, it will take away speed from you. If you're running downhill, it will say, right, well, effectively, if you were running on a straight, you are running slower. Uh, so there's loads of different sort of data points that you can take from that. Um, and it will, it will give you something saying, you are getting fitter. This is where you're vo2 max is now and it's an it's a guesstimated vo2 max but it's a good vest, uh, guesstimated vo2 max due to the fact that it's taken on board all of these different sort of uh measures mm. have you ever done anything like this before apart from is in crazy <laughs> crazy fitness things? uh so it all started um with a mud run that my wife and her friends said, yeah, I'm going to do this and raise money for. Wolf run by any chance? Yes. <laughs> I was like... Kate, my missus Kate has done that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I hate getting muddy. I hate it. I can't stand. <laughs> I can tell you. Exactly. What, what, what is that all about? <laughs> I've got to be committed. I either get completely muddy or I stay clean. Um, don't have any dirt on me. Uh, but yeah, it started there. Uh, long story short, one of her friends pulled out. I got <coughs> roped into doing it. Did the the mud run. Really enjoyed it. Did the next one. Did the next one. Did the next one. Got the massive wolf run medal. I was like, yes, I'm in there. Um, needed more, so I started with half marathons. Wanted a bit more of that, so I went on to a full marathon. Then I did the London Marathon 2017 thought that was wicked but lost the buzz for that again and then i need more uh and went and did a duathlon where it's a run bike 
run. And that almost destroyed me. That was one of the hardest things I'd ever done. Why is that? I just didn't train for it. I, you know, I thought that I was fitter than I actually was. And I wasn't that fit. Um, this was around 2017. And uh, the guys that we had coming through on course at the time said, oh, yeah, I've done an Ironman. I've done this. I've done that. And I'm like, oh, wicked. Yeah, I want to do that. That, that. that sounds awesome. Um, went and did this duathlon, which half killed me. I was like, you know, massive respect to anyone that could do an Ironman. This thing, you know, just like quarter, not even quarter of what this Ironman thing was. Um, and that almost killed me. Went back to my half marathons. And then I was like, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go for this half Ironman. And it did the half Ironman. Um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this full Ironman. So... In the June, I did the half iron. In the July, I did the full iron. In 2019, <clears throat> 2020 pandemic, right? I'm stuck at home, can't do anything. I'm, you know, I'm a soldier. I'm used to helping in a crisis. Uh, so a 2.6 challenge came up. Right, I'm going to run 26 marathons in 26 days. I forgot the point. <laughs> uh, so yeah did that and I aired it all live on YouTube oh did you because I thought you know I'm going to get people saying oh you didn't do it but you're just saying it you've done it so the easiest way around that was I set my uh, camera which is attached to my laptop up pointed that at me and just went on my uh, running machine running machine in my gazebo yeah did that every day for 26 days and then at the end I ran into the camp and finished and uh, it was some of the people at the end uh, they were like oh what are you going to do next year are you going to swim the channel or something stupid like that and that kind of stuck in my head I was like I couldn't get rid of it I couldn't I was, I was desperately trying to downplay what I wanted to do and I was like you know you could cycle to Land's End to John Groats he could run from John Groats back down to Land's End. Why don't I just do all three? <laughs> and I'll do it in 26 days as well. Jesus. Yeah. So. When do you start? Uh, first of June. Yep. When are you? When are you going to be? So when you do? When do you plan on hitting John Groats? Uh, John Groats will be around the 13th of June. I'll be going through there on about the fifth, unfortunately. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's mega, mate. What's it in aid of? Uh, so trying to raise money for the Felix Fund Bond Disposal Charity, which again deals with the issues that we've talked at length about. So all they have to do is get in touch with Mel uh, at the Felix Fund. Um, and Felix. 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 Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and the Hummingbird Centre, which is a cancer support centre. Um, and, you know, I've had quite a few people say, oh, I can understand the the, the bomb disposal charity side of things. Um, my mum was suffering or found out that she had breast cancer two years ago. Uh, and it was just before, was it? No, a year ago. Yeah. Um, and it was just before everyone said, right, operation stop. You know, we've got all of these COVID patients. Let's get them all in hospital. And she had a mammogram and they found something. 
had the operation, had it removed, and luckily enough, you know, she she's just had a mammogram again, and everything's great, everything's all clear as it stands at the minute. Um, but that period in between, right, Mrs. Hannaford, you've got a, a lump in your breast and it's cancer, to, you know, only a couple of months ago where my mum was told, yep, you're in remission. It's it's not there at the minute. Um, you know, she could have probably done with a little bit more support than she actually got down in Plymouth. Um, so the Hummingbird Centre is something in the Bicester area which provides that 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 kind of cover, that kind of support. Obviously, they can't provide it in the way that they used to prior to COVID, but everything's sort of like turning itself around now uh, so they can start welcoming people back into the centre. Um, and I thought, you know, what if, what if, the Hummingbird Centre was down in Plymouth and my mum had that opportunity to be able to pick up the phone and say, you know, hello Mel, um, I need some help. You know, and being able to talk to a professional counsellor um, about medicines, because the medicine that they put her on, some of it was worse than the actual illness of cancer. Know, which a lot of people don't realise. You know, they estrogen blockers. Well, that to uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And because it was a, a breast um cancer, they gave her an estrogen blocker which completely messed with her mind, you know. Crazy. Yeah. Um is there a GoFundMe for your your endeavours? Uh yeah, so uh type in Felix Try twenty six. Felix Try. Yeah, so all one word. Uh, try as in T R Y. Yeah, yep. T R I. T R I. Oh, Felix Try. Triathlon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Felix yeah. Try. T R I. Okay. T R I. Twenty six. Uh, and it will bring you up my YouTube page. It will bring you up um, my GoFundMe page, um, and that's where you'll be. I mean, if 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 people are interested, uh, just type in Cy Hannaford on YouTube. Um, I'm planning on streaming it live again this year. So all I need to do is get a thousand subscribers on my YouTube, turn my phone on, and I can stream everything live. Um, the how swim. Many, how many you got now? Uh, so I've got 400, 400 subscribers. Oh, we'll get you close, hopefully. 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 Um, you know, because my mum's down in Plymouth, and she would really like to see the start of the swim. Oh, because you need a thousand subscribers to go live on yes. YouTube, don't you? Yes. God's sake. Well, oh man, yeah, right, okay, I got you, yeah, I got you. Which is an absolute pain in the ass. So you can do, you, you can stream live from a um, a hard point in the house. So from a base station computer. You can't do it on them. But mobile. you can't do it on mobile. You have to have a thousand subscribers, which is an absolute pain. How are you going to do it if you don't hit a thousand? Uh, I'm just going to have to record and then try and sort it out that evening. If not, um, I'll have to record everything and then do it after the fact. Well, it's not critical, mate. It's doing it accounts, right? I, 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 yeah, 100%. You know, um, Hopefully, there's going to be some media interest and you know, my mum can see it, watch it on the TV, which would be nice. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, Felix Try, Felix Try 20, 26, TRI, I'll, like I'll make a donation for the podcast as well, mate. Oh, that, that's uh, really nice. Yeah, Thank anyways. you. And um, 
How do people follow you on social media if they want to follow you? Uh, so I am an absolute social media biff. Uh, I'm really not that good. I mean, I literally had, uh, I, I tell this story quite often. Uh, so I got my um, Facebook account last year last year yeah. at the start when I was doing the 26 marathons in 26 days. <laughs> and I got up in the That's morning a bad thing. and I was like, I, I tapped this Facebook thing and it said, what's on your mind? And I, I, I tapped into it. You know where I'm going with this, yeah. don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so what's on my mind? Well, I was on like day four of my 26 marathons in 26. My fucking legs hurt. Send. Put it on the side, and my wife comes running upstairs. Sai, what have you done that for? I'm like, done what? I'm just chilling out. I'm just relaxing. Why have you just told everyone on Facebook that your fucking legs hurt? <laughs> I said, I didn't. It's that asked me how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, you've just sent that out to everyone that you know on Facebook. Brilliant. Yeah. So, um, Sai Hannaford uh, for Instagram, I think it is. I'm assuming it people are gonna. It's my face on there, so if you can see my face, so S I Hannaford, um, Henny Ford, Henny Ford, Henny Ford. Yeah, yeah. Um, Twitter again. So I think that's Simon Hannaford. He'll find you. Yeah, yeah. You can't the important one is Felix Try Twenty Six. Yeah. Hashtag Felix Try Twenty Six, and then that should bring you up a list of things um, that social media wise. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming down to the studio. Yeah, no, no, it's been absolutely wicked. And can I just say one real quick thing? Uh, on. Depends on what it is. Thank you. Go on, my, yeah, of course uh, you can. Shameless plugs, go on. Uh, so thank the sponsors. So firstly, Aardvark Group. If this, if it, if it wasn't for them sponsoring me, you know, uh, and David getting in there, and I, I, I literally text him and he's like, yeah, I love the idea of this all over it. So Aardvark Group, massive, massive thank you. Uh, Camper Kings, I don't know if you heard of them, but they're going to give me a, a vehicle for the full four weeks of the challenge, so I don't have to sort of like stay at bed and breakfasts. I'll literally stop at the side of the road. Yeah, camper Camp. Kings, yeah. uh, so Camper Kings, you know, really, really gra grateful to them. MP Aerospace, uh, that design all of the bomb suits. Uh, I didn't mention that, so the first mile of my run is oh, going to be in a bomb suit. God's sake. Uh, or an IED <laughs> suit. <laughs> Why uh, make it hard on yourself? I know. Well, I, I told my boss yesterday, and he was like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> the first mile of arm suit, so WP Aerospace, yeah? Yeah, uh, N, N, NP Aerospace. Oh, NP, sorry, NP, November yeah. Bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And uh, we've got Pearson Engineering that make all of like the mine plows um, that fit onto the front of the, the tanks there also. Uh, sponsoring so thank you massive thank you to them because if it wasn't for them i wouldn't be able to do it i wouldn't have been able to buy the three pairs of trainers that i need at 500 pounds or you know ridiculous amounts um so massive thank you massive massive thank you mega mate good luck with it cheers i look forward to watching you do it <laughs> i'm sitting there having a beer going jesus christ he did he went ahead and did it good luck with it mate in all seriousness and um Let's go get a drink. Cool. cool. That's it. Thank you for listening.
a reminder of the sponsors of the podcast today, Monkey Mountaineering. Monkey Mountaineering, they organize, can organize, do organize, and conduct amazing treks and trips and expeditions, not just in the UK, but overseas as well. South America, Asia, Africa, all over the place. Headed up by a ex-military guy, good guy, called Sam Marshall, who's got decades of experience in mountaineering. Their website is monkeymountaineering.com and uh, on Instagram they are at monkeymountaineering. Also sponsored the podcast today were DevSoc, the development society, community of people who want to improve themselves and be better than they were yesterday. Definitely check them out. Go onto their website, I highly recommend this, right? Go onto their website, thedevelopmentsociety.co.uk and sign up for their infamous daily waves newsletter and uh, is that a plane can you they've got a plane flying overhead while i'm, while I'm talking and uh, and definitely get them on instagram uh, at the development society rugby for heroes we're also sponsoring the podcast today they have got an event coming up it is on the 26th of june at old lemontonians rsc it's going to be free to attend okay it's going to be a fundraising event it's not ticketed you can just rock up in the day so why don't you do it rock up in the day i'll see you there me and a bunch of other podcast guests at the Rugby for Heroes Festival, 26th of June, 2021. It's going to be a biggie. And finally, sponsoring the podcast today with the Aardvark Group, who have been, since 1982, deploying technical, in, deploying, creating and deploying technical innovations to help rid the world of unexploded ordnance and unexploded mines, landmines, personnel mines, anti-tank mines. Aardvark.group for Aardvark. Or search them on social media, The Aardvark Group. Thank you to the sponsors. Thank you to you for listening. If you're listening on a Apple Podcasts or anything like that, leave me a, a review. If you fancy watching the podcast, you can find it on YouTube. And if you want to get all the podcasts early before anyone else, then simply go to patreon.com forward slash HK Podcasts and become a patron. Easy peasy. Till next time.